Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So 1 John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Tim, thank you very much for reading for us, and let me add my welcome to Ben. It's very good to have you with us here this morning. If you can, please do keep your Bibles open in the church uh, pew Bibles. It's 1227, 1 John 4, and let's pray. Father, we ask once again for the help of your Spirit within us to help us to believe and understand the truth that we have before us about the person of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Should we stay or should we go? That's the big debate in front of us as we think about the EU referendum. It's brilliant to have in this country the kind of freedom that we do have to allow different voices to speak into the debate to hear different sides of the story about whether we should stay or go. But of course, at the same time, this this freedom of speech also leaves us with a problem. It's hard to know who to believe. Uh, One day we might hear dire warnings about the danger of staying in, immigration, the strain on the NHS. The next day we might hear um, the opposite story, that actually those warnings aren't true and there's actually different problems if if we leave, problems with our economy and free trade and and various things. And as the days go by and as the arguments and counter-arguments mount up, it can be hard to know who to believe. And if you've found that over the last few weeks, it is quite unsettling because we sense that this is an important issue for us. We want to think wisely about the issue, and yet we don't know who to listen to or what advice to take most seriously. I do look forward to Tuesday night and that conversation. But as we turn to 1 John 4, I think this same kind of problem is at work But this time in 1 John 4, the stakes are much, much higher than whether we stay in or out of the EU. You see, there are various voices around amongst the Christian community, people who claim to speak on behalf of God about how to know him and and how to have fellowship with him. And the voices conflict. 
And when the stakes are this high, it is massively unsettling, not knowing who to believe. Sadly, the world of one, John, is the same world that we live in today. There are all kinds of voices around within the Christian community claiming to speak for Christianity. We see them on the news and we hear them on the radio and in print and in pulpits up and down the country. And the voices so often conflict. And so it's hard to know who to believe. John writes to genuine Christians to give them confidence, to help them know that they, that they have indeed believed what is true, and also how to spot the falsehood of those around them who don't, who don't actually know the Lord. And I believe these words are a massive comfort and of great importance to us here this morning to help us remain confident in what we have believed. Well, as we work through these verses this morning, I've got three points. Uh, First, don't believe everything you hear. That's verse one. Don't believe everything you hear. Verse one. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. These are sober words. A prophet is someone who speaks God's words to God's people. And John says, many false prophets have gone out into the world, which means there will be many people around who claim to speak on God's behalf, who claim to represent God faithfully, but they don't. What does John mean when he says, test the spirits? I guess when we walk into a room full of people, most of us instinctively test the mood in the room. We look around at the facial expressions and the body language, and we can tell quite quickly whether the room is full of joy or or sadness or there's awkwardness in the room. We're sort of testing the mood. And some of us are better than others at that kind of testing. But, But that's not what John's talking about here. He's not sort of talking about a sense or a vibe we pick up from people, you know, true or false. Now, when John talks about testing the spirits, he means test what we hear, test the words spoken around us. I say this partly because the people we are to test, verse one, are prophets, and you test a prophet by what they say, But also because later on in 1 John 4, the test that John gives us is a test about words and about the message people are speaking. And so when John says test the spirits, he means test what you hear. Don't believe everything you hear. But this issue is not just a matter of words because behind the words, there's a spiritual Reality. There are spiritual forces at work. On one hand, there's the wonderful influence of the Spirit of God. And we'll see more about that influence in just a moment. But on the other hand, there is at work the influence of a different kind of spirit. John explains, verse 3, that there is a spirit in the world, the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, now back in uh, 1 John 2, John talked about how there are many antichrists who have gone out into the world. 
But here in 1 John 4, he talks about there being the Antichrist who is to come and even now is in the world. I don't think John is talking about a particular human figure. Uh, They would be incredibly old by now if he was. Um, But I think rather a personal force for evil who is at work in the hearts and minds of these false prophets. And I think this is so important for us. I think we're often very familiar with the idea of of evil being at work in uh, temptation, uh, perhaps in persecution, or perhaps in in suffering. But are we as familiar with the thought that evil is at work in the realm of words and the message we hear around us? But this is what John is saying. One of the ways that evil works itself out is in the realm of words and speech. The evil one loves to use words to promote falsehood and to unsettle genuine children of God. Don't believe everything you hear. In the old Western films, there's often that moment when the sheriff strides out into the center of the town and he takes a, a, a poster and he nails it onto the post and on it is a picture of the most wanted outlaw. Look, uh, here he is. If you see this person, tell us because he's dangerous. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if the Bible just gave us a series of posters of people to look out for. You know, be careful, this person, they're a false teacher. But that's not what John is doing here. John is delegating to each of us the very important task of being people ourselves who test what we hear. We are to be the people who spot the falsehood behind the words that we hear. I think the challenge is clear for us. I wonder, have we engaged personally with the responsibility of being those who test what we hear? Uh, My fear for many Christians is that, well, perhaps we trust anyone who says they're a Christian, uh, or or perhaps we trust someone because they hold a position of authority in the church, or because they're well-known, or or because they're from the right background and wear chinos and a striped shirt. But just because someone preaches, even from this pulpit here in Christchurch forward, or perhaps at Keswick, or, or Word Alive, or perhaps they are a bishop, Or perhaps they give the Christmas message on radio or the thought for the day. Just because you hear people in that context doesn't mean that they are speaking truth. And sadly, many Christians and many church families have stopped testing what they hear and with terrible consequences. There is a spiritual battle going on around us in the realm of the words we hear. And if we are to remain confident Christians, as is John's aim, well, then we all need to be involved in this discerning process. Please don't delegate it to your small group leader or to the PCC or to the, to the staff team. We are all to be involved. Now, I'm not saying that we then become um, very pedantic and we become people who dispute and argue every, every single little verse in detail. And there are many people around in the church in this country like that. That's not what John is saying. So what, how should we test the words we hear? Well, John goes on to show us. And here's our second point. John would say to us, learn how to test what you hear. And that's from verses two to three. Learn how to test what you hear. Look at verse two. 
This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Here's the test. We recognize the spirit of God at work in a person when we hear that person speaking correctly about Jesus. And then conversely, verse three, we recognize a false spirit whenever someone, verse three, does not acknowledge Jesus is from God. So it seems quite straightforward, this test. It's about the person of Jesus. Um, Verse two, it it requires just, it involves seven little words about Jesus. But I think there's much, much more going on behind that little phrase than just those seven words. Do you know the the game of Jenga? You've probably seen people playing it, you know, the the sort of game with um, blocks of wood and they form a big tower and the idea is you you take a block out of the tower and you add it onto the top and you try not not to, to, to knock the tower over but there's always that one point where you, you reach for a brick and you pull it away and that was the brick that the whole tower was resting on. And when that brick goes, well, the whole tower comes crashing down. I think 1 John 4 verse 2 is that brick that holds a tremendous weight of great importance. And when you pull that one brick away, all kinds of serious things come crashing down. And 1 John shows us the kind of things that come crashing down when you pull away verse two, when you deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And so part of what it means to learn how to test what we hear is both to look out for that particular phrase, yes, in verse two, but also to understand how that one test has implications for all kinds of other really, really important tests in 1 John. And so if you would bear with me for a moment, here's three blocks that come crashing down in 1 John if you remove the one block in 1 John 4 verse 2. Remember 4 verse 2 is about Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. If you take that away, what else comes crashing down in 1 John I've got three blocks. The first block is the identity of Jesus. Back in 1 John 2, verse 22, we saw that the false teachers were people who were denying that Jesus was the Christ. And in the next verse, verse 23, John equates this denial with a denial of the Son, the second person of the Trinity, which means that to deny that Jesus is the Christ seems to be the same as denying that he is the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And so back in 1 John 4, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh seems to be an acknowledgement that Jesus is both divine, the Christ, but also fully human, having taken on flesh. And this is so very important. Jesus was not a man pretending to be God. Nor was he God pretending to be a man. No, Jesus is the God-man. Of course, over the centuries, various people have rejected this understanding of Jesus. You might have heard of Arius in the fourth century who claimed that Jesus was, was not divine, that he was created by God, The uh, Jehovah Witnesses teach something similar today about Jesus. Uh, In response, we have the great words of the Nicene Creed. You might remember we say these in church sometimes. Jesus, 
is begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. But the creed continues. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. You see, both divine and he was made man. It's brilliant theology, this Nicene Creed. And on this Trinity Sunday, it's great to remember the identity of Jesus, fully God, fully man. That's the first block that we lose, the identity of Jesus. If we deny 1 John 4 verse 2, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, we lose this identity of Jesus. The second block is the revelation of Jesus. Back in uh, 1 John 1, right at the beginning of his letter, John said that he, along with the other apostles, they saw, they heard, and they touched the one who had been with the Father, that is, the Son. And this is why the apostle can claim to have fellowship with the Father and the Son, because he has seen and touched and heard the Son, Jesus. But he could only have encountered the second person of the Trinity this way if that person had taken on human flesh. Jesus is not like one of those press officers you see on TV, perhaps at the White House. You know the scene that someone stands out in front of the cameras speaking on behalf of the president. They have a carefully prepared script they read out and then perhaps they take a number of carefully planned questions. The the spokesperson themselves, they don't have much authority. They just speak on behalf of someone else and they can't really deviate from the script or the questions. But you see, Jesus is not a spokesperson for God. He is God. And when the person Jesus speaks, he is revealing God to us. The revelation of Jesus, the God-man. And this means that we must take the revelation he gives us so very carefully indeed, for it has great authority. But there are many around today who reject that authority. Just yesterday morning, on the BBC Breakfast News, I was um, watching a discussion between two people who claimed to be Christians. And the debate was about the issue happening up in Scotland as the Church of Scotland debated whether um, clergy could be uh, married in a same-sex relationship. You may have heard about the discussion yesterday. Well, this happened before the votes, and these two men were, were discussing how Christians should respond to this. And one person said that the, the words of Jesus tell us that we should love people. That's true. And therefore, because we should love people, we should accept and include anyone, no matter what their background or the particular way of life. And so this debate must be accepted because of the call to love. Now notice, this person was quoting Jesus. Jesus featured in the discussion. But the question is, was Jesus ruling over the discussion, or was he just featuring as a subplot to the discussion? The response by the other person was brilliant. He said, yes, Jesus calls us to love, but Jesus also defined marriage for us. Matthew 19, it's between one man and one woman. And if we submit to the authority of Jesus, we're not allowed to pick and choose which bits of his teaching we like. We can't just go for the love one and reject the marriage definition one. We have to find a way to take both at once. That's what it means to accept the authority of this revelation of Jesus. He is the God-man. And how dare we 
tinker and play around with that revelation. But I fear so many people quote Jesus, but actually what's driving them is not Jesus, but a different agenda. That's block two, the revelation of Jesus. And if Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, will we lose that block? Our final block, block three, the rescue of Jesus. One John is very honest about our problem with sin and very honest about our need for a perfect, unblemished sacrifice to die in our place. And only Jesus, the God-man, can be that sacrifice. Uh, So notice uh, in 1 John 2, verse 1, John calls Jesus the righteous one. In other words, he is unblemished. He is perfect. He is exactly the kind of sacrifice God demands. But no human can be unblemished and righteous. Only God is like that. You see, if, if the person, Jesus, was not divine, he couldn't be the righteous one. But then 1 John 2 verse 2, we're, we're reminded that this righteous one Well, he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, he actually died on a cross. His blood was actually shed. He died the death that we deserved in our place, taking the wrath of the Father onto himself. And he could only do that if he was human. And so here we see how the identity of Jesus, the God-man, is so important for the rescue. He has to be the righteous one, and he has to be able to die. And so when we start to question that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, we're actually starting to undermine the very heart of the gospel about how the cross has worked on our behalf and what happened there. But yet many people today deny this view of the cross. So often people reduce the cross to simply a moral example of love. You may well know the controversies surrounding the song In Christ Alone. There's a line which says, On that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. But many people don't like talking about God's wrath being satisfied. So they change the line to something like this. The love of God was magnified. It's subtle, but it's a significant change. It's still talking about the death of Jesus. It just leaves out a crucial part of why he had to die. But in 1 John 2, Jesus speaks to our defense before the Father because the Father is angry at our sin. And verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's very clear. He is dying to deal with God's wrath and he can only do it because Jesus is the God-man. Three blocks that come tumbling down when we remove that one foundational block Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And so as John kind of shows us the sweep of his letter, he wants us to learn how to test what we hear. Don't just look for those seven words as a catchphrase, but understand the framework behind them all. Learn how to spot when people are getting these kind of things wrong. Learn how to test what you hear. Well, finally, remain confident about what you have heard. And that's verses four to six. Remain confident about what you have heard. Verse four. This is back in 1 John 4. 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Who is the one who is in us? It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who is greater than the evil spirit in the world. And so the one great difference between Christians who understand the truth about Jesus and those who reject the truth The only difference is that the Spirit has come to dwell in our hearts. He has overcome the world in us. You see, on our own, none of us would believe the truth about Jesus. We just wouldn't want to. But God, by his Spirit, has come and conquered that worldliness in us, helping us to believe the truth about Jesus. Last week was Pentecost Sunday, so I know that we are a week late, but it's still worth saying. Here is one huge way in which... The Spirit is at work today. It's not the only way. Please don't mishear me, but it is one vital way he is at work. He is at work in the hearts and lives of Christians, bringing about conviction with regard to Jesus and the cross. And it is a wonderful work. And in this context, the work of the Spirit is not so much a subjective experience that will ebb and flow as we go through the ups and downs of life, but rather it is a firm and settled conviction about the truth and message of Jesus. And John would say to his readers, because the work of the Spirit is happening in your life, remain confident about what you've heard. There will, of course, be a great gap at times between the worldly false teachers and the truth. But John would say to us, don't be unsettled by the gap In fact, John goes on to show us the heart that drives the false teacher, and it's there in verse five. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to to them. I think John is saying that the, the world has got into the church, or at least the world has got into these false teachers who are claiming to be part of the church. I remember um, a number of years ago when I was still living in Oxford, there was a church down the road who um, advertised heavily that they were hosting a, a pet Thanksgiving service. Uh, it was one of their main ways to reach out to the community. They were trying to get lots of people to come to this service. Um, now, I love pets. I, I've got a dog. I've got nothing against pets. But when the Christian message gets reduced to this kind of community involvement... It's just worldly. Where is the cross? Where is the truth about sin and the person of Jesus? The worldly false teacher promotes a sort of Christian version of whatever the world is up to. If the world is up to self-help books, then we run a course on how to help ourselves. If the world is into fundraising, then we do fundraising. If the world is into pets, we do a pet service. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. But if we replace the cross of Christ with these kinds of things, then we're just letting the world into the church. The church is not called to follow the world. The church is called to offer a radically different message to the world, the message of Jesus Christ. What about these genuine Christians? Verse six. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. 
Uh, the, the we of, of verse six, John's talking about the apostles who saw Jesus and who have passed on their testimony to us. We recognize the spirit of truth, God's spirit, when a person accepts this unique testimony. It can be hard to know what to believe. We live in a world that is locked in a spiritual battle that involves words and claims about truth. But praise God that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Remain confident about what you've heard. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the tremendous work of the Spirit, kindly, mercifully, at work in our hearts to open our eyes to the truth about Jesus. We know that we would never see him for who he is on our own, and so we thank you for that work. Father, please help us to be those who continue believing the message about Christ and able to spot falsehood where it exists. In Jesus' name, amen.